Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast. And yeah, you guessed it. My name is Brendan Bigley. <laughs> I'm Stephen Hilger. That was fun. Thank you. How's it going, man? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, it's going pretty well. I'm, I'm uh, currently stuck in France. Uh, I was supposed yeah. to have flown back yesterday as of the time of this recording and uh, could not because I have contracted the novel coronavirus and I'm now quarantined in a house, well, in an apartment uh, in the middle of France for the next couple of days. Hopefully going to fly back on Wednesday, fingers crossed. Uh, I'll Just to get it out of the way, I actually feel very good. I think all the symptoms are behind me. Um, I'm relieved to hear that, yeah. So that's pretty nice. The shakiness in my voice that you're hearing right now is from me trying to record this episode previously in a very small secluded closet filled with dust that I inhaled all at once. Yeah, but you're yeah. in like the, the French equivalent of Luigi's mansion. <laughs> Pretty much. It, Chateau de Luigi. <laughs> like what would, what would it be in French? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know that's, French that's, at all. That's good enough, I think. Apologies um, to our, our French listeners. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> yeah, point, uh, 0.27% of our listenership is in France, if I recall correctly. Oh, really? I checked, I checked before I flew here because I was like, I wonder if anyone in France listens to this show. The answer is uh, 0.2% of a person lives in France. <laughs> After Chateau de Luigi, I think we, we blew it. <laughs> zero, zero, zeros across the board. Anyway, uh, happy that you're feeling better um, and that, you know, even though you're stuck, it's still a lovely place to be stuck. So I hope it all works out in, in some fashion. Yeah, yeah. Worst places to be stuck. I mean, th- this was a, a, a possibility space that I think we explored before coming here. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, we, we've had this trip booked for a really long time. And uh, to be completely honest, I just like assumed that the government wasn't going to let us do it. <laughs> so right. I was I was very surprised when the when the day came along and uh, here we are. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it happened. And uh, trying to make the best of a bad situation. I recently flew back from New Jersey and that was also like I was kind of prepared for like I might just have to like stay in Jersey for a bit. Right. Which would have been an interesting saga. Very Garden State, you know, returning home, kind of soaking Mm -hmm. it all in. Mm -hmm. What's next? You know? Yeah. But anyway, I would love to talk about some video games with you. Do you want to do that? I would I would love to do that too. I uh, unsurprisingly have had so much time, Stephen, <laughs> to play stuff. Uh, so I have, I have a lot yeah. on my plate, but I, I'm really excited about what you have on, on your agenda because uh, you've, yeah. you've been digging deep into uh, something that I think the two of us are very excited about. Yeah. So we announced this a while ago, but the season five premiere, our upcoming season five premiere is going to be all about the Nintendo DS. Um, longtime listeners might remember that our season marker used to be E3. Um, and then that kind of stopped being a thing. So we changed up what we did. And this season premiere last summer, we did an episode about the Game Boy Advance, which was just a lot of fun and like instantly got a lot of really positive feedback. So it just felt like, OK, point taken. We'll keep doing this. <laughs> uh, so and it was just something that it was really enjoyable too. like, even if it wasn't like necessarily as big of a hit as it was, I think we still would have probably latched on to that because it just felt like a very natural fit for the show. I think leading up to that, we had a pretty strong interest in like 
looking back at games history and like highlighting what we really love from the past as we also cover new releases. I think it really works harmoniously. So for this coming season, we're going to do the DS and we announced that with the Game Boy Advance, we kept it a secret. I'm I'm shocked that we kept it a secret for as long as we did. I, I was safely betting on myself slipping up somehow by <laughs> tweeting like, I love the Game Boy Advance. I can't wait. Oops. And then still sending the tweet. Yeah. So, but this time we announced it and I'm kind of glad we did because I think that we want to encourage listeners to maybe play along with us, you know, to have it be kind of like a community-based thing leading up to that episode. It's a really cool console. Also, those episodes are kind of structured like our Game of the Year episodes. So we'll go through like a ton of that consoles library i think brendan on his backlogged account has like the whole list of like 100 plus games we're planning on checking out for that episode yeah so if you want to play along that's the place to like check out and see like what which of those games are interesting to you yeah i'll make sure that link is in the description for this episode as well awesome yeah so my line of thinking was like okay i want to keep some stuff to myself i'm not gonna bring to the show every game i'm playing for that i kind of want that episode to have some surprises but like our game of the year episode we're bringing games to that episode that we have covered already so i'm like if in that week of doing a regular episode the games i have been playing are ds games I'll bring them up if if there's inspiration there. So yeah, I, I say that just kind of set expectations of like, I'm not going to bring up every game I'm playing in anticipation of that episode, but you can expect to see DS games kind of pop up over the course of the next six months. So I have two, actually I have three to bring to the episode today. I'm very excited. Uh, two are connected. The first one that I'm going to bring up is a game called Trauma Center Under the Knife and Trauma Center Under the Knife 2. <laughs> Uh, both for the DS. Have you played either of these? I haven't played either of them. They are on my list. Uh, I'm very excited to hear, but you've, you've, if I'm not mistaken, you have finished the entirety of the first one again already? <laughs> Pretty much. I'm in like the last, like th- there's like a gauntlet of operations in the very last level. So <laughs> currently I'm like at the final level of the first one. And I have also played the first like handful of hours of the sequel. So I'm I'm in. Are they Atlas games? They are. Yeah, they're Atlas games. Yeah, which I think is interesting. And that's actually something I want to bring up because like I think already exploring the DS library, what I'm noticing is like a lot more third party support than prior Nintendo consoles. Mm. I think that like yeah. the GameCube and the DS seem to be like and I guess second to the Switch now, I think probably has the most third party support. But like before the Switch, those two consoles really were, I think, the most kind of inclusive of other companies making games on a Nintendo console. And also companies that like wanted or teams that wanted to like utilize whatever Nintendo's gimmick was evidenced by Trauma Center being these Atlas games that are like really built around the touchpad on the DS. And that's another interesting thing to see, like, what DS games were building around the dual screen and the touchpad and which are just sort of like, we'll put a map there or, you know, a menu, like, right, right, right. <laughs> kind yeah. of ignoring it. I think the strength of the DS is that it allows you to either embrace it or ignore it in a way. Whereas the Wii, I think you kind of had to, like, somehow make use of the motion controls. Right, because any game you were going to make, I mean, there were so few buttons on on that controller. Even if you had the nunchuck attached, like, y- you needed to include motion in some way just to, like, 
gain use of some of the buttons that would have been normal on, I don't know, like a dual shock right. or something. Exactly right. Yeah. So Trauma Center, I actually have a bit of a history with. It was, I think, the first DS game I played. Um, I didn't even have the console yet, but I was at a friend's house and they handed me this like wild. I mean, at the time, the, the jump for a Game Boy Advance, I think, is a really remarkable console still in terms of just the hardware in a world where like all you knew was GameCube, Super Nintendo, Nintendo. It looks like it belongs to that family. Mm, the yeah. DS is kind of like a shocking jump in hardware, you know, between the dual screens and just the quality of game you could play on that. It really was like if the Game Boy Advance was kind of showing off that it could play Super Nintendo games handheld, the DS was doing that for N64 and like almost a little bit after that. Yeah. So I was handed this DS and it, the game that was in it was Trauma Center, which I think was built like to kind of show off. It, it, it weirdly was like the Wii Sports for the DS, but was a <laughs> a uh, medical drama in a way. So the game is essentially half visual novel, half surgery simulator. It kind of feels like Atlas was going for like a hospital Phoenix right in a way. Where like both games are sort of, you know, they, they have that vibe of like an anime that is based around something that is like kind of grounded in reality, but they sort of amplify it to yeah. make it more kind of over the top. Can I ask you a question about, about <laughs> yeah. the gameplay side of this? Is it like horrifying? Is it like really gross? So I was going to get to that. And I think that's sort of the the potential kind of like caveat for this game. Okay. So, so again, it's half visual novel, half uh, surgery. Yeah. I would say that the game, especially in the first one, adds a lot of levity by making it like extremely arcadey and also kind of extremely like over the top in a way where mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. very early on uh, you have to like there's this new virus that's revealed and it's just, it, it becomes almost like Galaga where like there are these, you know, cells that don't exist in our reality that are like moving around and like I won't lie there are like operations where you're like removing tumors and like that could be a lot and especially right now I think the idea of like setting something kind of in a hospital might be like a little bit too close to reality yeah but I find that the the sort of like mission of the game the sort of like relentless optimism of the characters who like just really want to help people I actually find that to be very comforting um and Mm. so I think that like they do a pretty good job making the surgery is not grotesque you you kind of detach from that i think honestly the most sort of personal part of it is when you make the initial incision because you you know you see sort of like an operation-esque body right and you make that incision once you're inside it's like star fox where it's just like <laughs> colors and like you know it, it really okay. is i mean there's a mission where you have to defuse a bomb which to me is the game just going full silly it's like okay yeah. like we're we are you know and then the, the person helping you is like talk about it explosive patient okay um <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I, I think that's been the one kind of thing holding me back from checking these games out because they were pretty high on my list to check out as well because as you and i have kind of mentioned off the show also atlas is like very much the mvp of third-party support for the ds and i really want to yeah. play like everything that atlas brought and trauma center i remember being very popular when they came out but um yeah, I, I was a little bit worried that they wouldn't abstract the actual surgery side of it enough uh, to make it palatable. But I'm, I'm glad they do. I'm glad I'm glad that it's like an arcadey fun time instead of a horrifying. Nightmare. Yeah. 
I think making it so like ridiculously high stakes actually adds levity. And it's kind of interesting because I feel like so my experience with Phoenix Wright to kind of, I guess, compare the two a little bit. um, They definitely have different tones. Phoenix Wright is much sillier Mm. and much like kind of lighthearted. I've only played the very first Phoenix Wright game, though, and I found it to be enjoyable, but very tonally off-putting in times. Now, I realize like, literally everyone in my life adores that series, so I really want to play more of it, and I'm sh- I'm like pretty certain I will love it. Edgeworth means a lot to me already. <laughs> I think that we're going to have a great time. But yeah. I just, like, n- without spoiling too much, like, you know, it, it kind of has that um, problem that I think a lot of true crime stuff does, where, like, you'll be in a courtroom in Phoenix, right, and you'll be doing this case where, like, the defendant is doing all these silly motions and, and is, like, a funny character, but they, like, murdered someone you know you know and it's like right i found that i'm like are they making light of this like it was i found that to be definitely not an intention of the game but i found it to be kind of a constant obstacle in the very first one at least it seems like they have struck a better balance going forward whereas trauma center also has issues with tone i mean you're going from like grounded sort of like classic medical room drama to like you know we got to stop this you know, terrorist organization that is obsessed with the concept of death. So it's like that is in a different reality (laughs) from the like the sort of local pharmacy and hospital helping like people with their lives, you know? (laughs) So it's interesting too, because every game seems to sort of struggle with that internally. We're like the first game, I think after the first few missions kind of goes full silly in that way. The second game is kind of horrific in a way. I mean, they cover some really heavy topics right away in a speed in which that I'm not sure benefits the narrative. I mean, like I'm talking like child soldiers and like, you know, just really awful stuff. Like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that is happening like in real life. And I appreciate the game kind of like tackling that, but I just, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like, why was this here? You know, like I, I I'm not against kind of like covering those heavier topics and it doesn't feel like they're trying to shock you it just sort of like happens and then you move on which i do think is actually kind of the vibe of a medical room you know or of like a medical drama where it's like yeah you'll be chatting up you know gossiping and 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 enjoying your co-workers company and then all of a sudden someone's rushed in and you have to operate on them and i find that the characters are really nice um the the main character is kind of an idiot dr styles uh in the first game he's this uh, unbelievable like, okay yeah Derek <laughs> styles in the first game he's this like you know kind of arrogant dumbass who you know is a young doctor <laughs> he's kind of naive and uh-huh. he's paired with um nurse angie who it seems like every mission is like a fable of like please listen to nurse angie she's the only one who knows what's going on well, and no, no one ever yeah. does and then she hits the fan it's like just listen to her um but Nurse Angie is like very young. I think she's like 21 in the first game. And she the the moment that I kind of attached to the story was like Derek has sort of stumbled into the success. Like mm-hmm. he's a pretty good surgeon, but he, it seems like he hasn't really taken on the weight of his responsibility. And Nurse Angie is like, I've worked so fucking hard to get here to be like your assistant. But I know more than you. I'm better at this job. You're routinely ignoring what I'm bringing up. And it's resulting in these patients almost dying. Like at one point, she's like, you're not fit to be a doctor. Wow. And okay. and the main character is like, you're right. Like, I suck. I shouldn't be here and leaves. <laughs> and that be and then if 
of course, you know, he's called back and and they kind of need each other and they find this sort of genuine partnership. I kind of wish that beat went on longer. And that's, I think, this, as much as I enjoy the levity that the sort of diffusing the bomb and the high stakes provide, I think that there's a lot of strength in the sort of like more human moments like that, where mm. they're examining like, what does it mean to take on this responsibility? A bit, a bit of a trigger warning, but there's a patient who seems to be kind of suicidal and doesn't want to live. You know, we still have to help this person. And there's also psychological work to do as well. Um, there's a doctor who, you know, the conversation of like, if a patient is suffering from an incurable disease, why do we go to these lengths to keep them alive just so we feel better? You know, they're suffering, like, wouldn't it be better just to kind of like, you know, have them go out peacefully. The game eventually takes a stance of like, no disease is incurable. We're going to fight no matter what, which I think is optimistic, but I do think it kind of undercuts the like more nuanced conversations that are earlier in the game where it's like, yeah, what is the right call? And also the game, it's kind of funny. The game takes place in the near future where it kind of just justifies gamifying surgery where it's like, this is cool antibiotic gel that just heals wounds when you rub it on stuff. Oh, like in Star Trek. Okay. Right. And it kind of has that Star Trek optimism where like, there's a point where Dr. Styles remembers, I think he lost his parent and the surgeon was like, Oh, well there's nothing we can do. This disease is incurable. And he's like, now we can take care of that. Like, it's so frustrating to be limited by technology in that way. So there's like really interesting stuff being brought up, but this the game speed is like 90 miles an hour. So they just sort of like leave that behind. Yeah, wait. So you've almost finished the first one and now you're into the second one. Like how how yeah. short would you say the first one is then? The first one's like eight hours. It's not long at all. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I will say the other caveat is that the surgeries are like really hard. Oh, really? Like infuriatingly difficult <laughs> the thing that's working for me though is that it really captures like again in like a medical drama where you're like scalpel this this oh shit this like it, it really does like make like when you pull it off it's remarkable like mm. and I, I know that's not for everyone I, I i definitely think that a lot of people would play this and maybe find the tone off putting uh and find the the surgeries too difficult but there's something about it that i find kind of like hard to put down like, I think that you get sort of a splash of story that at least leaves you either laughing at how silly it is or brings up an interesting idea. Right. And then you're thrown into these surgeries where, like, you really feel the immense pressure of the operating room. Um, and it's portrayed in a cartoony enough way that it isn't, like, horrifying or, like, edgelordy. I will say the second game is a little bit more realistic, um, but I do think the second game is, like, got the better story and also plays much better. Mm. Like the first game definitely showcases the DS touch controls in a good way, but like every now and then it can be finicky in a way that's really frustrating. The second game is like extremely smooth. Um, and also they changed like the artists and the composer. So it just looks better and it has much better music as well. Oh, okay. Um, in the second one, I think the, the character designer or the lead artist also works on a lot of the SMT games because the character, like in the visual novel parts, it feels like you're in sort of like ER persona basically. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I really like them. I feel like these are games I'm bringing up that like have a pretty good shot at making my list potentially. We'll see. There's so many games. It's hard to know this early in the year, but either way, I wanted to bring them up because I think that they're really interesting kind of moments in history on the DS. They're definitely one of the games that is built around the dual screen and the touchpad. There's also a Wii game. They ha actually have two or three games on the Wii. One of them is called Second Opinion, and it's a remake 
of the very first game oh. with the same artist who has worked on the rest of the series. So okay. like apparently that game is also great. And it was one of the few games that utilized the motion controls in an interesting way. Um, I think I played it very briefly. I think I like the intimacy of the of the touchscreen, the DS stuff. But if you're looking for <laughs> if you want motion controls back in your life, it seems like Second Opinion is is one of the better games to check out. So it's a really interesting series. I don't think it's kind of sad that it, it's sort of like has just kind of gone under the radar a little bit and, mm-hmm. and seems to sort of be on an indefinite hiatus. But I do think that they're worth checking out and that there's like really cool ideas going on, even if they're not executed 100% of the time in the best way. Yeah, I'm excited to play them. You, you've you kind of uh, relinquished me of my fears about them, at least, which uh, I don't know. I, I there's what is that game? Um, Two Point Hospital is a game that a lot of people have recommended to me recently. Um, it's like a hospital management sim. Um, it's by a company who's coming out with a new game called i think two point campus which is like a college sim as well oh yeah right but uh i i remember doing i think it was a stream for nintendo direct where they announced two point campus and and saying like wow this looks really great i'm excited to see what this is all about and a lot of people said oh you should go check out two point hospital and like man that is the last thing i ever want to do is like <laughs> manage a hospital that sounds horrifying that sounds like you could never make that fun to me but i don't know maybe maybe it's fine and and i think uh trauma center is a game that i kind of put on the back burner for that reason as well but I'll at least check it out. I'll at least play the first one. Maybe not on the plane like I was initially planning on doing, but I will check it out. You will throw your DS out the window <laughs> if you play it on the plane because it, it really is. But the thing is, is like it really makes you because it's so short. It makes you so committed to wanting to to succeed. Um, yeah. And also, I think like really as as, sim- as simply put as it could be, it's a game that's sort of built around helping people. And like mm-hmm. that's sort of the message of the game and like the mantra that's explored. The second game explores a lot of like potential corruption of like being a celebrity doctor or like working for a corporation <laughs> and forgetting why you did it. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. The, and of the, course, you know, the, the relatable <laughs> scenario of being a celebrity doctor who forgets why they got into the biz. There's an operation where there's like cameras flashing that distract you because they're like taking pictures of Dr. Styles. <laughs> That's so dumb. And Angie Angie gets so pissed. She's like, have you learned nothing over the one and a half games we've been together? <laughs> yeah, Derek Styles is a fucking dumbass, but Angie holds the ship together. Thank you, Angie. Thank you, Angie. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you'll enjoy them. I think you'll at least find them interesting. Mm. And I think that they're, you know, they're very unique. And I think that they, they're definitely worth checking out if you're interested in the DS. I think it's like, you know, any game that really tries to make use of the hardware, even if it fails, I think is an interesting thing to check out. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Which actually probably leads into the other game that you've been playing, which I'm, I'm very excited to hear your take on. Because I yeah. I remember loving this game when I was a kid and I haven't revisited it yet, but uh, I'm excited to hear better from your from your perspective. Oh, I'm, this, this is... <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited to talk about this one. So the game I've been playing, you guessed it. It's January 16th. We're talking about Star Fox Command, the fifth <laughs> entry in the Star Fox series. I had no idea this game even existed until like we decided to do the DS episode and then mm-hmm. like planned what games are checking out. And we actually not too long ago brought up Star Fox 64 because we were talking about the N64 arcade on Switch. We kind of glossed over just that generation of Nintendo and how so many games 
on the N64 were so successful in setting the foundation for the rest of the series, like Ocarina of Time, Super Mario 64. Yeah. You know, just without any any games preceding it, just like kind of leaped into a new dimension and set the foundation for the games that followed to kind of run with it. But um, I was very curious, like what what are the games that like really just excelled on the N64 in particular? And I felt revisiting Star Fox. I'm like this this kind of almost answers why no other Star Fox game has kind of come close to 64 because it just feels like that was like the perfect way to play that game. Right. The sort of like kind of loose controls, the polygon design, the compressed audio of the voice <laughs> acting, like everything about it is like, don't gloss this up. Don't, yeah. don't separate this from this exact moment in time. But I've also like, I do love the series and I've always been like kind of wanting it to come back. And it, it really does feel like Nintendo Sonic in that no shade on Sonic fans. I, I, sh- I share your pain because it feels <laughs> like they just don't know what to do with Star Fox anymore. Right, right, right. And Star Fox Zero kind of almost felt like the final like make or break moment because the marketing for that game was amazing. It really looked like they were like, OK, we're going to like after trying out a bunch of different things, we're going to really look back on N64 and try to recapture that. It was developed by Platinum, who like on paper sound like the perfect team to do Star Fox. I mean, like moments of near Automata are a great Star Fox game, but they definitely like know how right. to do a good like arcadey rail shooter. And it just didn't work. Yeah. Oh, they did that with Metroid, too, now that I'm thinking about it. Platinum also did that Metroid Other M, right, for Wii U? That was Ninja Theory, I believe. Oh, was that Ninja Theory? Um, okay, yeah. Yeah. Either way, ha- hand- handing off their first-party IP to other studios didn't seem to go too well for them on the Wii U, huh? Yeah, I, I, it's a very hit-or-miss thing. Sometimes it can work great, like, with Samus Returns, and then eventually right. Dread. And the thing about Star Fox Zero is, like, the big thing was the mandatory motion controls on the Wii U pad to control the pilot's neck. So that was, like, already dooming the game. <laughs> <laughs> but even <laughs> I'll never I'll never get over it. I've brought it up many times. I'll yeah. never get over it. Even outside of that, just it felt a little soulless because it felt so much like they were just sort of trying to like copy and paste N64. And it just felt like a little bit like, oh, this is what I thought I wanted, but it's actually not working. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. why isn't it working? So ironically, I think a lot of people have looked back. Oh, not a lot of people, but people <laughs> like me who are kind of curious about where Star Fox could be going have looked back on the sort of forgotten uh, GameCube and DS games. Uh, GameCube uh, Star Fox Assault was the game that kind of tried to go back to the origin of the series, but also incorporated like third person shooting and and other vehicles. And I, I hear it was kind of a mess, but I haven't played it, so I can't really say anything. Yeah, but I have played Star Fox Command on the DS. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So let me preface this even further. Uh, on this show, <laughs> we only bring to the table games that we enjoy, that we think are good, that we can recommend something about them, or that it will lead to an interesting conversation. And Star Fox Command, I think in our four years of doing the show, is the game that is most flirting with not qualifying for either. It's like right, <laughs> oh, it's no. like right on oh, the no. edge of like, oh um, no. But I do think it's good, and I think that it's going to lead to a good conversation so i i decided okay. to bring it up because i also think it's it's pretty safe to assume that it will not be on my list for the ds episode but i still want to talk about it and what a better platform to talk about it than the show yeah i'll i'll, I'll say this much please that I, yes. I had this game when i was a kid i remember playing star fox 64 at friends houses who had n64s but i the only console i had until the ps2 was the sega genesis so i missed i guess what like two generations of game consoles uh and yeah. only experienced them like via 
via friends' houses, essentially. So the only experience that I had had with Star Fox up until that point was playing like multiplayer Star Fox 64 in friends' basements. So when I eventually got a Nintendo DS for myself, I ended up getting Star Fox Command because I was so excited about finally being able to play Star Fox like on my own. Like everybody kept telling me the story was so great. I can't wait to figure out, you know, what Star Fox is outside of the context of just multiplayer. Um, and I played it like a lot, a lot. I re- yeah. as, a, as a kid, I really liked it. And that's why I've been so interested about hearing your take on this, because one of my favorite things about doing the Game Boy Advance episode was revisiting those games that I really liked as a kid and, and seeing if they still held up. Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland, still maybe my favorite Kirby game ever. Yeah. Uh, Metroid Zero Mission versus Fusion, I kind of flip-flopped. I, I came in thinking, because I loved Zero Mission as a kid, was not as into Fusion, totally flipped by the time we recorded the episode. Um, and I, I've been just like waiting with bated breath to hear how Star Fox Command is in 2022. <laughs> yeah. So I'll say this about it. And I think I think that there's a lot to admire about it. And I do think that my overall take is that if Nintendo ever wants to try Star Fox again, I think that the ideas here are brilliant. I oh, think that like... Okay kind of looking at what this game is doing and trying to do it better in the future or like in a different way, I think could lead to a better result because I think that we've kind of proven that like if you're just going to do like another rail shooter that's the same thing as 64, it's not going to really like vibe with us anymore. Like I feel like there are plenty of games that have done rail shooters well. I think Sidonara Wild Hearts is a really cool example of like how do you sort of spice up that genre of game um, outside of the arcades I think you can still do rail shooter elements, but it's like it kind of goes back to the intention is like, is the intention of this game just to sort of try to be like the game before or is it doing something new or something like, yeah, uh, does does it have a soul kind of thing? Um, So Star Fox Command is really interesting because it's essentially half a strategy game and half the arena battles of N64. So every level is structured not like the rail shooter levels, but like when you fight Wolf or, you know, those sort of square arena levels where you're like Mm -hmm. kind of free roaming and, and, you know, kind of dog fighting in in space or in the sky. Yeah. So it's structured to make use of the DS. It's structured where you see like your base and the enemy base and there's fog of war and you, you have multiple pilots, which is also really cool. I like the variety of characters you can play as currently I have, Slippy, Fox, and Lucy, Peppy's daughter, uh, which is interesting. Also, the game opens with this, like, very Shadows of the Empire-esque cutscene of, like, these really dramatic like slideshow exposition beats of like how the crew broke up and what they're all up to now. I'm pretty (laughs) sure Falco, it says like Falco is trying to fill the hole in his heart by like trying to still be this bad boy, but he misses the team. Uh, Peppy is like a general on Corneria now and Slippy just gets engaged to a nice frog named Amanda. It's, I keep sending you that picture because I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, It's really good. It's really really bizarre but i love it um and that's i think one of the appeals of the game is like they're they're really going for narrative in a way that is like shocking and i can't look away (laughs) so okay so it's it's structured in this strategy game thing where you have multiple pilots and you draw the path of their ship Mm. and they'll encounter enemies and then it will go into the arena battles and yes Oh my God. It's so funny. I feel like the the fog of war in the video game is very much what I'm feeling in my brain right now because I had no recollection of how you actually play this game. And now I'm slowly starting to... (laughs) 
<laughs> fill that in as you describe it. Also, the fog of war is tough because you, you can't, there's more fog of war usually than there are pilots. So you can't know where the enemy is. And then they'll just pop up and go to the great Fox. And then Rob says, goodbye, cruel world. And it explodes. Oh, so <laughs> I, I'm obsessed. I can't look away. It's shocking. But uh, anyway, so you have a limited amount of turns and you have to destroy the enemy base and the arena fights. You control the ship with the stylus on the touchscreen mm. and it actually works really well. You mentioned briefly that this game kind of captures the sort of floaty controls of the 64 version and also I think aids the game's feeling of like desperation. Like you're always kind of like on the skin of your teeth. Yeah. And I totally agree. I think that by making these stylus control the plane, it's essentially turning the DS into a virtual joystick. Mm-hmm. So it really adds to the arcadey vibes. It adds to the tension. And it's just really fun. The, the, the actual controls, I think, are really good. And I do like that every pilot ship has a different function. So like Slippy's ship automatically has dual lasers, but he can't lock on. Fox's ship is a single laser, but he can lock on. Lucy's ship, best of both worlds, got two lasers and can lock on and there are more characters that i haven't gotten to yet you'd think if the technology was available they would give it to everybody yeah it's very bizarre i guess the team is like coming back together (laughs) so where the game falls short is that i think that the strategy part of it is really interesting conceptually but it kind of gets in the game's way a little bit i like the idea of that that kind of planning phase but it's it's hard to sort of navigate and it also is like weirdly difficult in a way that i don't think the game intended and then the lack of level variety where like every time you get into an encounter it's largely like i've been playing it now for a couple hours and i haven't left the sort of like hoth-esque planet every battle kind of feels the same it Mm. gets a little bit repetitive yeah and and i feel like a lot of the appeal of Star Fox is the sort of variety of locations so i feel like this game is a really really cool rough draft like I think what could be the potential next step for Star Fox. There's also like a branching narrative that's weirdly locked until you beat the game once, which also feels like why like that that's like also the appeal. Like mm. just like, it'll be like, Oh, should I go save slippy first? Or should I try to do this first? I'm like, why, why would you lock that from go? That seems to be one of the selling points of this game. Yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's very dramatic. Slippy brought up crystal and Fox goes, don't say her name. I'm like, this is unhinged. That's great. But uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I think you're not going to love it. I think like me, you'll be like, there's really cool ideas here. And the core mechanics are really impressive on the DS. So I do think that like, I hope it's something that Nintendo looks back on or that whoever they hand off Star Fox to checks out to be like, what does a Star Fox game look like where you have even more agency over the steps of the narrative and the journey and also over the the path the pilot takes, you know, like I wonder, like, take the N64 map and can we just draw on that? Like we just choose ahead of time which planets we go to. There mm-hmm. are a lot of ideas that are popping up just from playing this kind of silly game. But yeah, I think I think it's good. Uh, I, I think it falls short of its own ambitions. and I think it has really cool ideas. So I'm excited for you to revisit it. Maybe you'll feel more positive than I do, but there's still a lot to like about it. I do think of all the post 64 Star Fox games I've played, it's definitely the most successful. I think because it's not Dinosaur Planet, which is like kind of a weird <laughs> Zelda game that happens to have Star Fox in it, and uh, it's not Zero, which has motion controls to control the pilot's neck. So it's it's doing better than those two in my book. Yeah, 
Have you played the 3DS remake of 64? No, I'm curious about that one. I, I haven't played. I've heard it's pretty good. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I love the 64 one, so I'm sure I would enjoy it. Yeah. I just wonder, like, I, I never on this show want to be like, just just stop. You know, I never want to be like, just just don't do it anymore. But like, maybe maybe Star Fox is like, fine. You know, I like I, I would yeah. I would never want to say, like, don't try and make another Star Fox, because if anybody has an idea that's good enough to make it into production and like start working on it, like I'm interested in what that is. But how many times are we going to go back to this, you know, and just be like, eh, it didn't really work. Like maybe maybe 64 was like the peak, you know, I kind of feel that way about Sonic, too. Like, I'm very interested in this new Sonic that they say is an open zone game, not an open world game. <laughs> That's apparently coming out this year. But I, is that going to be the thing? You know, I kind of feel the same way about Kirby as well, where Kirby, I think, has been like good, not great for a really long time. Like yeah. Kir- Kirby is never bad, thankfully. I'm, I'm very as a Kirby fan. I'm very happy that Kirby is never bad. But Kirby is always good and never really great, uh, or at least hasn't been for a long time. And I'm very curious about this new one being an open world exploration thing like is is that actually going to be the thing that makes kirby good you know yeah i'm actually i'm getting more and more excited for the new kirby game because i've noticed the similarities between mario odyssey and the new kirby and how like mario odyssey was built around like getting different abilities that helped you traverse the environment in a way that was outside of like what Mario always does. And it seems like Kirby is kind of going for something similar. And I think we haven't even like, we haven't ever seen Kirby not be left to right. You know, it's never not been a side scroller, right? Except for the racing ones. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But, uh, I'm really excited to see, but I think you're right. I think that like, there's definitely like a B team at Nintendo and Kirby is like kind of the, the main occupant of that B team. Star Fox is like maybe C or D at this point yeah not everything needs to be brought back not everything needs to be constant we can just sort of have our memories yeah and our experience with with the game that worked and like kind of move on this is a much more eloquent way of saying the thing i was saying yes i love this yes keep going yeah <laughs> I, I i'm also open like i think that like i'd rather Star Fox not go out with zero. That's kind of my main hesitation yeah. of wanting it to like rest in peace. I don't want that. To, I don't want <laughs> neck controls to be my final memory with Fox McCloud. <laughs> But it's also like fine if that's it, because I don't really know. Like, I think Nintendo handing it off to begin with sort of shows where their interest is. Yeah, right. But at the same time, Platinum Games is like a very like loyal team to Nintendo, or at least they work together a lot. They're you know Bayonetta has become Nintendo first party IP. So I'm I'm wondering if like people at Platinum want to give another shot because I think that like. Again, if there's any team that could do it, I think it's them. Um, I think that they might have just felt conflicted or or maybe pressured to utilize the Wii U in a way that they didn't need to. Right, like in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another thing about Command is that there's no... This, this is maybe one of the main caveats, too, is that like Star Fox, again, when you think of that series, you think of the voice acting and the quips and all of that. Mm. But here there's no voice actor. They just go like, like true. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, <laughs> which just adds to the, to the mania of like seeing Fox go like full Anakin Skywalker about his unrequited love for crystal. And him just going, blah, blah, blah. Like that's the text message. It's like, what the hell is this? Oh my God. Don't say her name. Blah, 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 um, um, but anyway, that's Star Fox Command. I hope uh, I hope that was what you're looking for in this segment. And then some, Stephen. I mean, I, <laughs> I got to unbuckle my seatbelt and just kind of like 
sprawl out, you know? Positive, positive review despite it all is, yeah. is how I would phrase that. You yeah. have made me more excited to check it out at least. Uh, yeah. So that's good. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a really interesting rough draft at something. For sure. Let me let me ask you this before we before we take a break. You've been playing this stuff on original Nintendo DS hardware. How how do you feel about that so far? I love it. So it's actually worth bringing up for the episode. I feel like I've been doing a mix of like I have a DS, you know, the DSi extra large, I think, and I also have my 3DS. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a couple games where like there's like a sort of soft like glow up on the 3DS of a DS game. Um, I think Radiant Historia and Strange Journey are both ones that I picked up on the 3DS. Yeah. Um, my goal is to play both, but I think that like those 3DS versions don't seem different enough to justify not having those like perks in totally. a way. Yeah. So cause I, I, my logic is like if we were doing a 3DS episode, I think those games wouldn't count. You know, because they're not like they're they're sort of like ports in a way. Yeah, I agree. But I've been trying as much as possible to play on the original DS and it's cool. It definitely utilizes the stylus way more. I think the 3DS is like pretty chill about the stylus. Like, yeah, it's there if you want it, but you could ignore it. Even the 3D at a certain point games like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that phase. Hey, hey, put it on for a few seconds. See what happens. Eventually, Nintendo themselves bailed on the on the 3D. I think that it was a Pokemon Sun and Moon didn't use it at all. Yeah, I think the only game I ever used it for that I enjoyed was Awakening. Oh, that was also when I first got the 3DS. I think that there was mm-hmm. like a novelty mm-hmm. to like, oh, cool. But like those cutscenes look really good. They did look still. really good. Yeah. And there's also something nice about like all the menus kind of popping off the screen, like during the the support that was the scenes. Thing for me. That was the thing that really got yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like I didn't I didn't play with that on, but every now and then I would put it on to just like have fun. And uh, so I enjoyed that. But otherwise, I've never really used it. And if anything, I actively avoid it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say this. much. So I, I started playing uh, when, when we first decided to do this as our season premiere episode. I, uh, I spent a lot of time playing some DS stuff on my 3DS because it's backwards compatible. And I liked it enough, but I was like, I really do want to get some like original DS hardware to play this stuff on. Um, and as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I picked up a DSi that I found on eBay uh, and started playing on there. And like, it really actually does feel better playing on the DS. And it's this kind of like inexplicable, like je ne sais quoi kind of like, it just feels better. And I, I'm, I'm glad that you're having that experience as well. Yeah, I really like it. I mean, I think it also just, I believe that the 3DS XL has a wider screen. So I think that like the, does, yeah. the display screen has the black bars and the touch screen doesn't. Yeah. So like that's it's a very minor thing. But I feel like when you don't have to think about that, it's actually a better like if you have both, why not play on the original hardware? Yeah, there is a way to boot DS games where it fills that top screen by like stretching it a little bit, which I also wouldn't really want to do. I feel like that would yeah. also be a little bit strange. But I, I, I'm very grateful to have both options. I also just got a big case for DS games that has like little like mesh pockets for like, <laughs> I guess it also could work for Switch and 3DS as well. Yeah. So I'm all in. I got weird like 2010 cases for my stuff. <laughs> I don't know if it's cool, but I'm certainly in possession of one. So <laughs> blah, cool. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, cruel world. <laughs> yeah, let's take a break. See you soon. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the show. Hello. 
I think this is going pretty well considering I'm in a different country this time. Yeah, our connection is is pretty stable, which is cool. Yeah, I'm I <laughs> I'm recording currently uh into my old MacBook Air microphone and my iPhone 13 simultaneously just to see if either of them are better than the other one. Thanks to AJ for making this episode possible. Thank you AJ as always. Yeah. I did really want to get an episode out this week. That was kind of the big thing was like, yeah, we, yeah. you know, when it was like, oh, my God, I am COVID positive. I have to stay in France. I mean, the first immediate instinct was like, we should probably not record. But I really wanted to do it because, I mean, uh, first of all, I'm playing a lot of stuff while I'm here in quarantine. And uh, B, I don't know. It just it, when else are we going to get to record an episode where one of us is in France? Right. I'm really glad you feel well enough to do so. And yeah, I mean, I think we our plan was like just to check in the day of and see how you were feeling. So I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, me too. Um, but like I said, I have been playing a lot of stuff. I've been playing a lot of stuff. I'm so excited. Tell me everything. Yeah. So I'm, I, one of the things I meant to talk about last week, which uh, I don't know if you have seen this because uh, self-proclaimed Stephen Hilger chronically offline sometimes. <laughs> have you been playing Wordle at all? Do you know anything about Wordle? <laughs> offline. I have seen people share their Wordle success and am unable to decipher the meaning, but it seems like it's fun. Uh, it, I don't really know what it is, but I know that it exists. Please I love inform me. Yeah, yeah this is, I'm this a is blank canvas. A great, a great scenario for this podcast. Okay, cool. So I, w- I would start by saying, e- even though Wordle has been around for just under a year, I think, or maybe like two thirds of a year, it seems like, I would consider it the first great game of 2022 because I think it's like cool. it, re- it really picked up this month. So Wordle, for those of you who haven't played or if you, like Steven, have seen the grids shared on Twitter and on other social media platforms and like didn't really know how to decipher it, Wordle is a game uh, where every single day you go to the same website and it'll give you a grid of five letters uh, and, and you have to figure out a word that is five letters long and try and type it in. You will either uh, get that correct or incorrect, but you might get it like mostly correct. Right. So like say you have some of the letters correct, say say the word, for example, is uh, arise. Right. But you put in uh, ideas. You got a couple of the letters. Right. Because a lot a couple of those letters cross over. It'll tell you you got these letters right. Maybe they're in the right place. Maybe they're in the wrong place. But these are the correct letters. So then you kind of just work your way through the keyboard and figure out what word it is by continuing to guess. You have six guesses total. You can only guess six times. Uh, and if you don't get it in six guesses, then you lose. But if you get it within those six guesses, then you win. So when you're done with the game, essentially, it gives you this grid of like what letters you got right, what letters you got right in the right place, uh, what letters you got wrong. And you can copy and paste that onto social media. It's like an extremely shareable thing, uh, which I think is fucking brilliant. I mean, that's kind of the reason that the game picked up in the first place was like these like multicolored square grids were just being shared with kind of no context. It would just say like Wordle and then this and then, you know, a number out of six, which is, you know, how, how long did it take you? to get this right. And I I think this game is brilliant for a bunch of reasons. First of all, there have been like, because this absolutely blew up, a lot of like online culture reporting has happened around this game and like why it blew up and who created it and why. And like, it has the most just like, a uh, chef kiss, beautiful, nice reason for existing, which is like some guy just made it for his wife because she likes word games. It was just like an anniversary gift or something. And he just yeah. put it out and it's free. And he's like, I'm never going to put ads on it. I, I don't want it to be anything beyond this. If I touch it, I'll, 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 you know, 
mess with it in a way that will ruin the reason that it's big right now. Like he's, he's being very good about it, you know? Wow. Um, that's great. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Outside of that, there's this, there's this idea that like it being so shareable and so visual kind of means that like, once you understand how to read Wordle graphs, you're like in, you know, you're like in the club in a sense, uh, which I think is pushing a lot of people into trying to figure out what it is because like if you ever see something on Twitter that looks interesting but you don't know what it is like you got to figure it out and you'll go into (laughs) the replies and like find where this came from so there's that aspect of it as well I also think it's just like really fun game design and you haven't played it yet but I think if you ever go and check it out uh, oh it's worth mentioning every person in the world has the same word every day so there's this Mm. like kind of communal thing where like did you get the word or not oh I you know say the word again like say the word is a rise like oh man I got so close I can't believe it was a rise like a rise just like didn't hit me for some reason or like say for example the word is like tower it's like man I was standing next to the Eiffel Tower yesterday I didn't get it like how how am I so dumb you know yeah but there's that like you can talk to people who have played it and have have a communal experience which I think is really cool but like from a game design perspective too I think it's really interesting because the first time you sit down to play it you'll just look at this blank grid and be like what I'm just supposed to like guess randomly like that doesn't doesn't seem really fun and then you know you just kind of like whittle down options but slowly, I think the more you play it, you, you start to kind of understand that there is like a meta game going on. Like there, there are actual ways to play that are better than others. Like, for example, words with more vowels than others are better to guess first. Right. So like a, a word like ideas has an I, an E, and an A in there. And that's great to, to kind of whittle that down immediately because, you know, say none of those are in there. Oh, there's probably an O or a U in the word then. So your next guess will have an O and a U. Ideas also has an S in it. S is the most used letter in the uh, English vocabulary, apparently. I didn't know that. Wow. I learned that because of Wordle. (laughs) So, you know, words like that are like really great for guessing first. So over the course of time, you'll start to like kind of get into the metagame and then eventually you'll also start to break out of it. Right. So like for a while I was playing it, I guess like last week or two weeks ago, I was playing it and I would always do like ideas or arise or words like that because they had a lot of vowels. And eventually I was like, that's not as fun as just like guessing randomly and just trying to figure it out. So I like that the game kind of shifts with how you feel about it. But either way, it's become like a really fun routine, I think. A couple weeks ago, maybe months ago at this point, I guess it was last summer, uh, I talked a lot about the New York Times crossword puzzle on this show. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, In my brain, I'm like, this feels like the Wario-wearification of the New York Times crossword puzzle, where it's like, <laughs> how do we condense yes. this into like the most bite-sized but like durable game design? Abs- absolutely. That's, that's such yeah. a good way of putting it. Yeah, so the thing about the New York Times crossword puzzle was I really enjoyed playing it every morning, but the, the way it works is that Monday to Friday, it gets harder with every day. So like the Monday right. puzzle is easier than the Tuesday puzzle, easier than Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and so on. And then Saturday and Sunday are kind of like a fixed difficulty. For a couple months there over the summer, every morning I would wake up and Percy and I would like get together and do the New York Times crossword puzzle. That's so fun. It would it would be nice in the mornings on like Monday and Tuesday when the puzzles were really easy. <laughs> but then yeah. once you get to like Thursday and Friday and the puzzles get really hard, it's like we're sitting there for three hours and it's like, oh my God, we, we were supposed to have been working for an hour at this point like this is not good we need to stop doing this what's nice about wordle is that it kind of like gets us in that same routine where it's like you're actually waking up and i don't know using your brain in a way that feels productive even though it's a game but you can bang the whole thing out in like i don't know it takes like less than five minutes to do uh, unless you're like really stumped in which case it takes a little bit longer and what i really like too is you can like put it away and come back to it later like you could just close safari and then come back and like try again but either way it's a really fun 
thing. I, I'm really glad that it exists. I'm really glad that like nobody's really fucking with it or like trying to turn it yeah. into anything bigger. There's one guy who who just like straight up stole it and turned it into an app and like sold it on the app store that immediately got like ruined, <laughs> which was I, I don't know, like the quickest karmic release possible. Um <laughs> But yeah. outside of, you know, people just like straight up stealing it, there are people who are doing fun twists on it. I, I played one yesterday um, that I thought was really interesting that somebody posted in the Discord. It's worth mentioning our Discord, very, very active Wordle thread. People oh, are cool. posting there all day, every day about Wordle because we have people from all over the world in the Discord. So people are waking up and playing it at different times throughout the day, uh, which is really fun. But anyway, somebody posted one yesterday called Absurdle, which uh, <laughs> changes the word every time you try and guess. So it'll like use the letters that you've already guessed and the letters that you've gotten right and will find every permutation, like every word that could be the answer and will change it to one of those every time you guess until there's only one possible solution left, which that's really fun. And I'm just like kind of enjoying watching this be a moment in a way. Like it's, yeah. it's fun to like be a part of this as it's happening. So I just wanted to shout out Wordle at least because I meant to do it last week and I forgot. Yeah, it's cool. I definitely want to check it out. I feel very um, inspired by that because I feel like there's been so much news of like, I don't know. I think it's like worth looking at the success of Wordle when like all these giant game companies are jumping on like the absolute worst, like world ending trends like, in, <laughs> yeah. in, in hopes of finding success. And here's just someone that like made a simple game for the most authentic reason. And that's what took off. I think yes. that there's a lot of power in that. I, I really love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's really nice. Yeah. I, th I think you'd like it a lot. I, th I think you'd enjoy the experience at least. Sure, um, yeah. I'll, I'll send you the link when we're done recording so you can give it a shot. Wordle.net. Um, yeah, I wish. I wish it was that easy. Um, it's, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's some like random guy's website. So it's like a super oh, long okay. link. Uh, it's, it's, Angelfire.exe <laughs> slash, <laughs> slash X page. Yeah, slash NFT. Oh, God. <laughs> so yeah. based on how much I've been loving Wordle and, you know, you can only play it once per day is the whole thing. I was like, let me try and find another word game that I'm really into. And there's one that's actually been downloaded on my phone for like over a year at this point that I haven't checked out. Um, it was, I think, a launch game for Apple Arcade. And if not, it was like one of the like big releases on Apple Arcade. But it's a game called Word Web, which I'm not going to talk about too long because, again, it's an Apple Arcade, which means that like if you have an Apple device, you can play it. And if not, then you can't. And that kind of sucks. And I, I feel bad about that. But I do want to shout it out because I've been playing it like a lot, a lot. And it's kind of scratching a similar Wordle slash crossword puzzle itch for me. It's essentially a game where you're playing Scrabble, but instead of having letters, you have words. So all you're doing is lining up words and trying to fit words onto a grid. So you know how it when you're playing Scrabble, if, if you put down a bunch of letters, they'll have things like a double word score or a triple word score, right? Like you're trying to get your word onto one of those like special squares on the grid to get extra points. The way WordWeb works is if you place a word and it hits one of those like extra or like one of those special blocks, it actually gives you more words to use. So you have a very limited amount of words and by hitting those blocks, you get more words and you're just trying to see how many words you can fit onto this grid. Um, mm. And it gets very difficult very quickly. And I liked it a lot right when I started it. I just like thought it was an interesting idea. It was like, you know, the idea of uh, building words together in Scrabble is always like really annoying. So the idea of just giving me the words up front is really fun. But what's actually become really interesting is that there are daily challenges and weekly challenges in here. So they have a daily puzzle, kind of like Wordle, where everybody gets the same puzzle and you just see how many words you can fit in. And for a game where you sit down and generally, like if you were to just play like a random game of WordWeb that you set up for yourself, it would take like maybe 10 minutes max. 
like maybe uh, it, it, they're pretty short. It's like, okay, try and place 20 words on this grid and you try and do your best. And like, maybe you do, maybe you don't. For the daily puzzles, it'll be like, okay, try and fit like a hundred words on here. Like see if you can get like around a hundred. And that takes a really long time. It takes like crossword puzzle length amount of time. Um, yeah. And then once you've done the daily puzzle three days in a row, I think it is, or maybe four days in a row, they give you a weekly puzzle, which is kind of a similar thing, but the grid is like twice as big. So it takes like a really, really, really long time. So like yesterday, Percy and I did it and it took like, we got close to 200 words I think on this thing and that took like a couple hours which of course is great for two people who are quarantined in an apartment in Paris with coronavirus um <laughs> right Sorry to, to just laugh. like no no no, no. Uh, to try and kill some time but um yeah I just really like WordWeb I think like for a person who uh, really likes Wordle and wanted more stuff that felt like it was activating the same parts of my brain uh WordWeb has been really great for that so I would recommend that as like a casual word game to check out if you have an iOS device uh whether that be iPad or Mac or whatever so yeah those are uh, two word games that I've been playing. Let's get Hell to yeah. non-word games. Yeah, let's get a little bit of right brain activity. I guess I guess it's like left brain, but also language. It's interesting. It's kind of a little mm. bit of both. It's the whole brain. It's the whole brain, baby. It's the whole brain. Anyway, yeah. what, what else you got for me? Psychonauts 2. Um, so... <laughs> I do want to mention, because yes. we announced this, I've been playing some Chrono Trigger. It's great. I've been playing it on the Nintendo DS. It's very good. Oh, I played yeah. it on the plane ride over. I played it in a couple free moments that I've had along my trip. That game is great. Well, that should come out this month. But again, you know, because of the situation that we found ourselves in, it's possible that might get pushed. So just a heads up there. But either way, we're going to try and get that done this month. Um, yeah. So that's been really great. But outside of that, I was, I've been looking for some games to kind of like, or at least, you know, throughout the course of my trip, uh, whenever I had a moment where I was like, okay, we're back at the place that we're staying. We're just kind of hanging out for like an hour or two before we go out and do something else. I was looking for a game that just felt very casual that I could just kind of sit down and like enjoy spending, you know, 15 to 20 minutes and then put it down and pick it up later and like kind of just have a good time uh, regardless not really need to focus my brain too much and there's a game that Justin McElroy has talked about on the besties I think once or twice so far um, that I checked out called Kingdoms Two Crowns which is I would say like like almost like a civilization management simulator kind of thing mm. that's wrapped up in a roguelike shell which I think is very interesting I want to preface this because I think you'd like it a lot in that mm. it is like stunning looking it is a beautiful, beautiful game. It has kind of like a, I would say, a not retro pixel art aesthetic. Like it is very... Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Very specifically trying to be like the most beautiful pixel art it could conjure up. The game is like like absolutely gorgeous at all moments. Um, what's really cool is if you download it on switch you get uh, a bunch of extra modes that you can play it in so like generally speaking it's like a medieval kind of management simulator but there are extra skins that you can put on that makes it like kind of like an ancient uh like feudal japan kind of look or like a norse mythology look um so you can play it in a bunch of different ways and all of the art is just like amazing and the music is amazing so like aesthetically i think you'd really like this game um yeah i'm, I'm looking at some google screenshots and it looks wonderful it kind of almost reminds me of um sword and sorcery yes i that was actually the next thing I was going to say, yes. Um, yeah. Which, you know, that that's a soft spot for me. So I was immediately Of like, course, yeah. yeah uh, immediately swo uh, swayed? Swayed by this game. Um, <laughs> swone. Swooned. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about this game that I think is really interesting is that it's a side scroller where you are, I guess, like the lord of this kingdom that you're trying to build up. And there are enemies coming from the left and there are enemies coming from the right. And at all times, you need to be kind of like running on your horse back and forth between the left and right sides, trying to build up your walls and uh, find more people that you can kind of recruit into your kingdom that can work for you in different capacities, like builders or archers or farmers and things like that. So you can continue 
continue to make an income and continue to build up your kingdom. Where the roguelike element comes in, I think is really interesting in that like it is actually kind of easy to fuck up the way that you build. It's easy to like spend all your resources on the wrong thing and then find yourself like getting completely destroyed by uh, weird like alien enemies uh, and getting like completely eviscerated and then die and have to start over. And I kind of like that. I kind of I kind of enjoy that aspect of like because of it's a rogue because it's a roguelike I don't feel too much pressure to get it right because I know that mm. in continued play I'll eventually get there right and right. I think that's aided by the fact that the game is very loose in its tutorialization in that there is almost none like when you start the game there's a ghost that's like follow me and then they take you to a camp where there's like a bunch of people and you just give them some money and they join your kingdom and then it's like cool turn this one into an archer turn this one to a builder good luck and then it doesn't tell you anything else about the game <laughs> um, I do like i think that like roguelikes i think i guess depending on how you define the genre i think the most successful ones allow failure to be the tutorial you know and not yes. just like unforgiving right i, I think to <laughs> you saying like you know it's easier to fuck up and then like restart I, I think of so many games of civilization where i think i'm doing great and then i get the like final results and it's like you will be forgotten by history it's like what the <laughs> f- i just gave 20 hours of my life to this yeah every yeah. all the leaders are laughing at you it's like, oh my God. Yes. I can't take this. I think so. Where the roguelike element or the like specific element comes in to play in Kingdoms Two Crowns is that when you fail, kind of like Rogue Legacy in a way, you pick up again as the ancestor of the person you were just playing as. Oh, I see. Yeah. And all of the stuff that you've built, not all of the stuff, but most of the stuff that you've built will remain. So, everything that you've worked towards isn't gone forever, but you might need to like repair it or you might need to build it up one or two levels past where it is currently because, you know, over time it's kind of become dilapidated and ruined uh, by external forces. So I, I think in that way, it feels much more relaxing than I was expecting. I, I find between the music and the art that this game is like kind of fun to just poke at the edges of and see if I can figure out how it's played. Because even now I'm like a couple hours in and I, I feel like I'm getting kind of a handle on it. I just figured out that you can build a boat and go to a second island that has like more oh, stuff on shit. it where you can Hell like build yeah. a second kingdom and i'm like oh my god what do you mean i can build the second kingdom and like now i'm getting a new kind of currency in the second kingdom that i can use in the first one so like i feel like the more you poke at the edges of this game the more it reveals because there are just so many question marks all over the place that you can kind of tug on and 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 um just kind of like satisfy your own curiosity and i think that's really what I was looking for in a game um, you know of all the stuff I was thinking I was going to play on this trip I, I think like this kind of checks all the boxes in a sense so Kingdom's Two Crowns is really fun it's also worth mentioning that the Two Crowns aspect of it in particular uh, it is multiplayer like local multiplayer um, oh fun yeah which is which is cool so I think it does like a split screen thing so the idea specifically is in this game because I think this is the third one there was Kingdoms uh, and then another one that I, I think it might have been called New World, and then this one is Two Crowns. The thing is, in this one, they've they've all had the same idea of running left to right and like trying to kind of build up your barricades and build up your resources on both ends of the kingdom. By being multiplayer, it kind of allows each person to focus on one side. So I, I see Two Crowns, not having played the first two, but like just kind of knowing about its history, I feel like this is 
maybe the best way to play this game. Like it feels like it maybe this is them now refining this idea of their gameplay down to like its most like sanded off welcoming way. Um, because also from my understanding, if you like lost in the original kingdoms, you would just like die and have to restart from scratch, which I think is very oh, unfortunate. So yeah. ha- having a little bit of progression carry over, I think is really nice uh, for the player and it does make it a relaxing experience. So yeah, uh, Kingdoms 2 Crowns is a thing that I like highly, highly recommend. It's on Switch. That's where I'm playing it, just to be clear. I think it's also on iOS. It's on a bunch of stuff. So I was wondering what the best place to play it is. I think it sounds like a good Switch game. Yeah. I'll say this. The thing about the Switch version is that the load times are really long, but like that doesn't Mm. really matter again, you know, because once you start playing like, okay, cool, you're good. But uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's also on mobile and probably also on other stuff. But uh, Switch is great, and it, honestly, again, because of the art, it looks amazing on the OLED Switch. So oh yeah, the OLED. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm so tempted by the OLED, but I just I feel like if I get one the next week, they're going to announce the actual new Switch. And I'll be like, <laughs> you assholes. So I'm holding off. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the good move. <sighs> I'm just the kind of person that needed one. So I, I, I had to get it. Made it made sense for when you got it too. I, 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 one of us had to get it and I'm glad you're enjoying it. It does look like if you play handheld, it is a huge step up, like for sure. So yeah. Knowing yeah. this trip was coming up was like kind of part of the reason I wanted to get it because it was like, okay, well, I of want course. the best handheld experience. But also I will, I will say that like even when I was home and had it, I have been playing more handheld than usual because of the OLED switch. I just think the screen yeah. is really nice. And and as you you mentioned when you were trying it, the, the size of it i think is is kind of the draw almost more than the screen at times but that's the thing too i mean even on the ds's like i feel like it's really i can't imagine not having an xl 3ds or ds you know it's like that's the size it needs to be yeah yeah anyway i wasn't i actually wasn't planning on bringing this up but i'll bring this up anyway Uh, i I have been playing animal crossing new horizons with my new island i am past the point of kk slider showing up i have uh, the cafe oh so you're in yeah I don't know. I, I just upgraded my shop today. So I have uh, the, the new shop. So I'm like kind of back to where I was at. And I just want to say, yeah. as we've mentioned many, many times, that like first two weeks of Animal Crossing New Horizons is like just unbelievable. But the following couple of weeks where you get those like next few steps. Oh, so good. Really, really yeah. like just top tier shit. Love that game. I'm so still. glad you got to experience it again, even though it was not an ideal circumstance. Uh, I'm glad you got to play through that again. Yeah, yeah. I'm back, baby. I'm really excited to eventually play Wild World. More on that one day. Dude, Um, Wild World is so good. Yeah. I've never played it. I'm very excited. I think you're going to like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I I play the original New Leaf and New Horizons, so I'm I'm pretty all aboard the series. Yeah. Eventually, we'll do uh, a Nintendo Wii episode, and you'll have to play City Folk. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder how that will hold up, but we'll see. I didn't like City Folk. I'll say that much. That seems to be the one that was like, eh. But yeah. they did at least incorporate that city idea into New Leaf in a way that seemed to work. That was better. brilliant. That was yeah. such a smart move. I was so happy about that. Anyway, complete left turn. The other game I've been playing, which I'm actually really excited to talk to you about because I think you're going to find this very interesting. I've been playing Final Fantasy 15 Pocket Edition for the Nintendo oh, Switch. Oh, yes. I can't wait to hear about this. Yeah. This is a game that you and I have talked about kind of off the show and on the show, back and forth. You have mentioned more than once uh, that it is your goal to bring every Final Fantasy game to the show at some point. I feel like this is kind of like a weird, like tangential one that it makes more sense for me to bring than you. So <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Yeah. This, this is a game that uh, was initially released on mobile, hence the name Pocket Edition. Uh, it was released on iOS and Android, not alongside Final Fantasy 15, but like kind of tangential to it, like a couple months after 
if I recall correctly. I remember seeing remember seeing it at PAX after Final Fantasy 15 had come out uh, and them saying that it was coming soon. So I think it was a couple of months after. But um, yeah. Final Fantasy 15 Pocket Edition is a very interesting, ex- I, w- I would call it an experiment, in that it is taking the entire storyline and most of the game systems of Final Fantasy 15, which for those of you who don't know, kind of a big expansive game for Final Fantasy. It's like this big open world experience. You play as a, a prince named Noctis who's driving around a, in a convertible with his three buddies, uh, just kind of like around this land trying to get to a place. I kind of don't want to say too much because of story reasons. And I actually think the story is like kind of interesting, at least where I'm at currently. But uh, they're just driving around. And, and I don't know, a lot of people just refer to it as like, the boy band convertible game um <laughs> and they're not wrong it is actually a road trip i mean the the title card is the four of them pushing the car that is no longer working to stand by me so yes. like yes that's the vibe of 15 which i actually love that aspect of 15 yes um it's also, i think 15 was also the first final fantasy to utilize like real-time combat that kind of walked so f7 remake could run absolutely in a way yes. with the combat yeah yeah. So Final Fantasy 15 Pocket Edition is essentially the story of Final Fantasy 15 uh, without the open world aspects. So a lot of the game systems are intact, which I'm very surprised by. So like the the action or sorry, the combat is still real time. It's still it actually feels a lot like the Final Fantasy 15 proper combat. It's like holding down. Uh, well, it you know, depends holding down the light attack button to do light attacks, holding down the uh, the like heavy attack button to like warp and warp all over this battlefield. And Noctis has the ability to warp. It's worth mentioning. You can warp all over the battlefield towards different enemies and you can switch weapons mid mid uh, swing and like do all these wild combos with like a little sword and then a great sword and then like a spear um you're ordering your teammates around as they get different abilities uh one of them has a gun one of them has like a big great sword uh the other one has these little daggers and they'll like come up with different ideas as you're in combat that you can kind of order them and and they'll help you out and all that stuff is intact which i've been very surprised by the other thing i've been kind of surprised by is that a lot of the like team building aspect or like a lot of the characterization of these four guys is still intact as well. All the oh, voice cool. acting is there. Even though if you look at the the art style, it kind of has, I would say, a less cursed version of Bravely Default 2 art style. <laughs> it, it looks kind of like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess Bravely Default 1 then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. They like, look like um, purposely polygonal, kind of chibi-esque character models. Yeah, which I... I never really saw as off-putting, and I know a lot of people did. Um, to me, I, I didn't really have an issue with it because my my thought is always like, if the art style is cohesive and in execution doesn't like remove any of the emotion from scenes, then it's fine for me. And when I started this game, I was a little bit nervous because none of the none of the character models have any animation involved really like in their face so when they're talking or emoting or expressing anything you don't see any change there which i was like i don't know if that's going to work for me luckily all the voice acting is intact and the voice acting is really really good in this game Um, oh cool they have all you know it's all the same voice lines and all the same voice actors from the main game uh just put into this thing so all that expression all that emotion still comes through really well which i've been very very pleased by Alongside that, all the music made it in. So all the music is still great. That was always a high of that game for me. And it's probably worth mentioning, I did play Final Fantasy 15 when it came out. As you and I have mentioned yeah. on the show forever ago, that was the first Final Fantasy game that I played. That was the first one I like got really into. And that's what I have always said 
what I've learned by playing Pocket Edition is that by quote-unquote getting really into Final Fantasy 15, that means that I spent about 25 hours in the first chapter and a half, I'd say, and saw almost none of the story <laughs> or even the inciting event. Yeah, it's it's... Without spoiling, FF15's like production history is like wildly rocky. I mean, it's it's like remarkable they even got a game out like that. Yeah. That was originally supposed to be a spinoff of 13, right? And then became 15. And because of that, I think the game does feel very disjointed. Where like there's one part of it that is the sort of like you know the the inciting event is Noctis has to go essentially like become king and get married. Yeah, and he's on this road trip with his bodyguards who are also like his friends. It does. Feel feel like this sort of last hurrah before he has to take on more responsibility it's sort of like this, this like loss of youth in a way yeah it's like a bachelor party road trip kind of thing but right. he, he doesn't seem very excited about the whole situation the the friendship between that group is really the heart of the whole game Absolutely. and i really liked like cooking and the the sort of like more mundane parts of it i really loved the a plot at least in how it's executed in 15 you know the original game feels like it's like a bunch of ideas coming in at different angles even if they're not bad ideas it just doesn't really feel cohesive i I do i liked 15 way more than i thought because that game was like pretty divisive on launch yeah and i didn't play until years later and i got it for free and there was something on the disc i remember the person who sold it to me was like there's like weird stuff on is that okay i'm like honestly i feel like that's a sign like i'm gonna just take it (laughs) i want to get 15 for free with something on it yeah (laughs) And, uh, you know, again, with with a much more neutral stage set for the game, I I was able to find more to like about it. It's definitely not like up there, but it's definitely like a good game. Like it's like a fun time and there's stuff to enjoy in it. And I wonder, honestly, if in Pocket Edition streamlining the narrative, I wonder if that actually benefits the story in a way that doesn't feel as disjointed. So that's that's what I was just about to say. I've played, I would say, three ish hours so far, maybe maybe closer to four at this point. Um, again, a lot of time in quarantine. And I think you're, you're mentioning that Final Fantasy 15, from a narrative perspective, the proper game, didn't feel cohesive is like maybe the best thing that you could levy against that game because it, it feels like two disparate ideas, at least when I played that game at the time. Absolutely. Which is yeah. why I didn't get very far in it initially was like, on one hand, you have this open world game that is like almost Monster Hunter in a sense. Like you're picking yeah. up bounties to go fight monsters and you're taking these monsters out. You're like exploring this kind of beautiful uh, space that almost has like a Route 66 vibe, uh, yes. almost an Americana <laughs> vibe while also hanging out with your friends and like helping them grow. They all have their different things that they're doing. One of them is a photographer. One of them is a chef, you know, so you're like finding new recipes. You're helping one of them take pictures and get better at photography, et cetera, et cetera. That is one half of the game. The other half is the very like kind of prim and proper royalty intrigue, final fantasy story. And those two feel very disparate when you're playing it to the point where I think you could ignore one over the other entirely if you wanted to. Um, yeah. and, and I think in doing so, you lose the other half of it. What's interesting about Pocket Edition is that by removing the open world aspect, you're not able to get distracted by it in any sense. And it really does make the story and this like friendship building simulator feel cohesive in a way. It feels more cohesive to me, at least, than it did in the original. Um, and I found that to be really compelling. I've, I've, I've been actually really enjoying the story so far. It feels a lot more emotive because what would happen in the original is you would like get a story beat and then there would be five hours of open world gameplay before you'd get another story beat. And you're like, I don't even remember what happened last time because right. I did that two days ago when I had time to play this game. And they would come in hot. Like there would be this like Oscar moment of knock. It's like, where? 
what? We yes. just went to a diner like a second ago. Yes. It did not. It was like oil and water. And like, again, like you said, you could ignore one and probably enjoy one. But I'm glad to hear that it works better as a singular experience in Pocket Edition. Because I also know a lot of people who saw 15 through usually were much kinder to it and usually were like, this is actually great. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I think that there is a good story within it. It just sort of like cracked in half. <laughs> and, and I think that is probably the reason they made this game in general. Like yeah. if, if, if I really had to guess, I would say that Pocket Edition came about, A, you know, because Square Enix wants to make money, obviously. And like if they can make a mobile <laughs> right, version right. of 15, then like, great, good for them. They can sell it. I also think it's like a really like rather bold experiment on, on their front and probably something we won't see again with a big caveat that I'll bring up later. But um, I, I think we won't see another thing like this again. Like, I, I don't think we'll see like another like Final Fantasy. What is it? 16 won't come out with a pocket edition as well, if I had to guess. But that said, I think in terms of highlighting the actually like interesting story and good writing and like great voice acting that's happening here, Pocket Edition is maybe kind of the way to play it. I, I do think for some people, Final Fantasy 15 proper, I think it's called like Royal Edition is the version that's on Game Pass and stuff. Like that's that's a great game. I had a really good time with it. But it's also, you know, what, 40 to 50 hours long. It's going to take a really long time to get through that story. At times, I think it's going to feel really disconnected and you're going to feel disconnected from what's going on narratively uh, and what you're doing personally. By by streamlining all of that, I just think Pocket Edition like becomes kind of a more successful way of in, enjoying that story if you don't have the time to commit. If you do, then like probably play the normal version. But if you don't, yeah. like, or if you just want to play it on Switch and you're like, I'm actually uninterested in like sitting in front of my TV for 50 hours. Yeah, pick a Pocket Edition on Switch. I think it's really good. It also frequently goes on sale, which is one of the reasons I picked it up. As we talked about, <laughs> I think last week Square Enix had a big sale and this was one of the games I picked up. I, th I think it's usually $30 US and I got it for 10 or something. So like great deal. I'm having a really good time with oh, it. Oh yeah. I'm finding it really, really fun. And I think you would like it in particular for all the reasons that we've talked about. Cause you and I've talked yeah. about potentially checking it out, taking 15 and turning it into a almost quote unquote more traditional Final Fantasy game, I think actually does kind of smooth out some of the rougher edges of that thing. It reminds me a lot. I, I can't remember if it was like a fan made thing or if Square Enix actually made it, but right around when lightning returns final fantasy 13, three technically <laughs> yeah. was coming out. They actually, there was this like spark notes version of all of the plot of 13 and 13, two told through a like SNES Final Fantasy VI style. Oh, so it wasn't wow. even a game. It was just like, like a five minute video on YouTube of like so cool. this beautifully animated, like, you know, retro style of 13. And watching that, everyone was like, this rules. Like this, like, <laughs> this should have been its own game. Not to say that, I mean, like, I honestly, I do really want to try 13 again. And I do want to check out 13 too. I did not really vibe with 13. I mean, that beginning, I like everyone makes fun of that beginning of being like literally a, a like actually linear hallway for 10 hours. I, I played that and, and loved the design of the world and the look of it and the music. So I think that like, I'm sure that there's something later on there that might connect with me. Totally. But at the time of playing it, I was like, I don't know if I really am determined enough currently to power through what I know is like a bad beginning. Mm -hmm. 
So one day I'll, I might try again. But all that being said, seeing it in that format and just getting like kind of a shot of the story was a really cool experience. And it, it, it is like there is like a place for that, weirdly, I think. And it sounds like this game was sort of like that idea seemed to full fruition. Yeah, I I have been enjoying it. And I, I, I think you in particular really would, too, if you ever wanted to give 15 another shot. I think this is the yeah. way to do it. So the big caveat that I wanted to mention is that although I don't think we'll ever see something like this again in terms of like releasing it alongside a mainline Final Fantasy we do have uh, I, don't, I don't remember what it, I think it's called like Event Crisis or something Final Fantasy 7 Event Crisis or whatever it is is coming out this year which is honestly one of my most anticipated games of the year um, <laughs> it's everything yeah. in one place right Right, it's it's a remake of Final Fantasy 7 that includes every single disparate uh, like spin-off. So that's like the PSP game, that's Advent Children, that's I think remake as well. It's like everything is just kind of fed into this one thing. Can't forget Dirge of Cerberus. Dirge of Cerberus. Yeah, the the whole the whole gamut uh, is included. I'm very interested to see how that plays, but it looks it looks like a, you know, kind of like standard Final Fantasy game in a sense, you know, and I I'm kind of excited for that. I'm kind of excited to see that come to fruition. But I, I think I think Final Fantasy 15 Pocket Edition is weirdly like a good primer for that in a sense. Totally, yeah. I'm curious to see how that will uh, manifest the FF7 one. I've also been playing the original again, which has been such a cool experience. I've been streaming it. Uh, it's, it's on our YouTube if you want to watch and also yeah. on Twitch. Um, but uh, literally constantly as I'm playing the original, I keep thinking back to the remake and comparing and contrasting moments and like being like, oh, I actually really like the way original did this. And I like the way remake did this and like mm. seeing what ideas they picked up and ran with. It really, really has further cemented my like idea that they really work as companion pieces. You know, totally. like they really like playing one, you're going to be thinking about the other. And I think they kind of want that to happen. Like they're they're in conversation with each other in a way. And uh, it's been cool. It's been really cool to go back to the game because I haven't played the original since playing the remake. So it's been fun. Yeah, I'm excited to watch those streams. I haven't been able to because France, but uh, yeah, no, you've been busy. It's cool. I'm, I'm excited to finally watch those because uh, as I mentioned last week, I would rather watch you play them than me play them myself. <laughs> I I'm about it's so funny because there there were people watching who have only played the remake and they're like, mm. Steven just did in 45 minutes what it took me like six hours to do <laughs> in to the do remake. remake. Yeah, because so I'm right at the end. I'm like about to go to the Shinra building. So I'm like almost oh, okay. yeah. at the end of mid and it's been we've only streamed twice it's been like four hours yeah so it really is like midgar is six hours in the original (laughs) (laughs) even if you're you know taking your time yeah but anyway cool yeah well that's that's all i had for the day Thank you for sharing. I'm really, really excited to check out Wordle and eventually Pocket Edition. I think you'll like it. Next time it goes on sale, you should pick it up. I think I think you'd appreciate yeah, it. That's a good idea. What are the Oh, you know what I'm really excited to play? I've never played Final Fantasy 3, which because it was never released in the US until mm-hmm. the DS remake. Which I heard is like fine, but I'm yeah. still just like I know like that's like the one Final Fantasy I know absolutely nothing about. Like even two, I know like what people like and didn't like about it. Three is like, it could be like Bioshock. I have no idea what it's like. (laughs) You can play the pixel remaster. That's true. Yeah, that you're right. Cause that is, that is like, I might do both just to see like what the DS remake did. Cause I I know the Mm. DS remake is in the style of the four remake. So it has that type of presentation. Yeah. So I might, I might check out like closer to the original. I've been seeing some rumors that the pixel remasters are going to come to switch after six comes out next month. That makes sense. Cause that, that's yeah. the one that's the one people will probably want to get and then release them all as a package. I, I feel like that'll be 
be a cool experience. I'm really excited for that. That's kind of, that's another one of my weirdly most anticipated games of the year is Final <laughs> Fantasy VI. I'll definitely get the bundle on Switch. I have, I got the first one, uh, the first Pixel Remaster of Final Fantasy One on my phone. I brought it to the show. I really enjoyed it. And you really liked the one of four. Yeah. They're really good. I think they the pricing really is a good. little strange. And the marketing has been strange, but the actual <laughs> product is very good. Yeah, um, yeah. And the music is like unbelievable. The, totally. the, the new orchestrations are like worth it. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Final fantasy. I, while we're talking about this, is there anything, because I know we're still so early in the year, but is there anything either that's a new game on the horizon or is there something you want to play that has been out? Like anything exciting on your, on your agenda? Oh, let's see. So th- the next time, or sorry, no, uh, so this episode comes out on the 19th. On the 28th is when Pokemon Legends Arceus comes out. Oh, yeah. Wow. On, honestly, I, I don't know if you've seen some of the videos that Nintendo's been releasing of like the long form like gameplay viewings or whatever. That game looks wild, like way wilder than I think either of us thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> they're changing up the combat in some like really interesting ways. Um, it's still turn based at times, but uh, it is like definitely a little bit more involved than I think you would expect. I've been kind of avoiding it because I, I really want to go in like completely neutral. Like mm-hmm, I feel like mm-hmm. with Sword and Shield, you and I were both on this like bizarre hype train for ourselves. <laughs> uh, and yeah. we ended up, you know, we like we liked the game. It has its flaws, but we both really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and with Arceus, I'm like, this is such a big swing. Right. I want at the very least, even if it's not successful, I want or successful in its mission. It's going to make money. It's Pokemon. But like, I want it to be like a lesson for Game Freak to like try new things, you know? Totally. So I think that like, yeah. at the very least, I admire the game for really shaking up the format a bit. I'm a little bit like between Pokemon, Kirby and Sonic all shaken up their formula by just sort of doing Breath of the Wild. I'm a little bit hesitant to like, it's a little bit like our conversation about the Dark Souls influence being surface level. In some mm-hmm. games where it's like a cryptically named boss and a fog wall and not like actual design. And I don't want the inspiration from Breath of the Wild to be big open canvas with hand gliders. Like there's so much else you can take from that game. There, there's so many bits and pieces of inspiration yeah. that I don't want it to just to be like, oh, I guess we have to do this now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I think that's the thing is like I don't want games to feel pressured. that They have to do that. It's like, do it if it benefits the actual game. I think with Pokemon, people have been dreaming of like an open Pokemon game for forever. Forever. So I think yeah. it's like even if Breath of the Wild didn't come out, there's still a desire to see Pokemon take shape like this. So I'm really excited to see how it comes out. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's the first big release of the year. So I'm, I'm yeah. really looking forward to seeing how that comes out. Yeah. And then I think February is Elden Ring. So there's like a lot of big, <laughs> big releases, like real early on. This is going to be a wild year, uh, yeah. you know. So that's cool. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much on the same page. I'm excited for Kirby more than I was. I'm very curious about Arceus. I'm excited for Elden Ring. I'm honestly really pumped to play more DS stuff. Like it's just been <laughs> a lot of fun. I, I yeah. know we have a while before that episode, but. I think starting early will make it a more enjoyable process to prepare for that episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I think the best part of this year is that we don't really know. So it's just like exciting to like every week is going to be like a wild grab bag of stuff, <laughs> which is always fun. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at the Game Informer list for uh, Game Informer has a really great list that we generally work off of, uh, just to be clear, of like everything that's coming out in the next year or everything that we know is coming out uh, that they tend to keep pretty updated. But yeah, ne- next month in particular is going to be pretty wild because we have 
Sifu in uh, the second oh, yeah. week of February, which I think is going to be like the first kind of big PlayStation game of the year, followed pretty quickly by Horizon Forbidden West, which is obviously going to be very big Oh my release. God. That's also February? Yeah. Wow. And then uh, closing out February with uh, Elden Ring. Uh, so pretty big February <laughs> in general. Q1 has never been this like star-studded i feel yeah because i think everyone's just looking for like the blank space that they can just kind of have all to themselves you know from a marketing perspective like i think hitman 3 was kind of the perfect game for that last year where i think it came out like first week of march and like nobody had released anything yet um or maybe it was like february or something i just remember hitman 3 coming out at a time when like the idea of new game releases like wasn't even on anybody's mind Um, yeah so it really just meant that there was like a whole month of hype cycle for hitman 3 and nothing else which was god that felt like yesterday and that was last year that's wild yeah it's so Um, wild but uh yeah so we have pokemon this month and then next month uh begins the gauntlet the gauntlet (laughs) when does project triangle strategy come out oh i don't know we're just triangle strategy isn't it march let me look it up oh it does march 4th march 4th perfect so we got that going too yeah same day as gran turismo 7 which one are you gonna get (laughs) i'm just gonna keep playing forza my man I'm going to drive in triangles. How about that, Goose Dolph? <laughs> I can't get over the villain's name in Prodded Triangles. Anyway, should we wrap up? Yeah. Yeah, I think we should. Uh, Brendan, thanks again for making time for me. Uh, I, I, I wish you a speedy recovery and a safe journey home. Thank you. And dear listener, thank you so much for listening. And thank you again. Uh, we're still kind of in the like radius of uh, releasing the Goatee episode and like... Mm. The positive feedback just continues. And just thank you all for checking out the show. Uh, if this is your first time, thank you for joining us. We've got a whole year ahead of us. Very exciting. Um, the bonus for this month, like we said before, is going to be Chrono Trigger. Very, very excited to finally talk about that. Um, and that may be closer to early February, depending on certain things. So keep an eye out for that. Intothecast.online is our hub for everything. Places to listen to the show links to our youtube and twitch i've been streaming the original ff7 which has been really fun uh i will eventually resume my nuzlocke but been kind of taking a little bit of a break from that because i just don't want to burn myself out by having too many projects at once on twitch also settling back in from my trip home so everything's kind of slowly taking shape again um, we also have a Patreon. Thank you so much to those who are able to back the show. Please do not if it puts you in any financial strain. But if you do, you get access to all our patron bonuses. Um, so no matter when you back the show, you'll get access to our backlog. At this point, we've released a good amount of stuff. So there's like a good amount of content there. I have plans to release an episode that I'm excited about in the next month or so. Uh, and I have another idea after that. So patron <laughs> content tends to be more recently like a little bit outside of like what we would normally cover on the show. It's an ever growing, ever changing thing. But usually if we have a funny idea where it's like, this doesn't really make sense. Like honestly, in retrospect, when we talked about cast 2019, I'm glad that that's available. That curse is available for everyone. (laughs) But I think if we were to do that now, that probably would have been a patron episode. We talked about arcane most recently. So like sometimes media that is a little bit on the outside of what we normally cover for the show. So anyway, that's the Patreon. That's, basically it just thank you so much for listening do you have anything to add brendan no just thanks again i do want to mention oh actually yeah um it's worth mentioning uh and i'm glad we're doing this at the end but uh the giveaway for our goatee episode for Mm. those of you who have entered that uh i i want to let that run until the end of january and then first week of february i'll pick a winner from that and uh we'll send out the prize which i 
will not spoil if you haven't listened to the Goatee episode. Um, yes. Go scrub through that and find out how to enter. But thank you so much, everybody who has entered that. A lot, a lot, a lot of people have entered, uh, which is really cool. <laughs> yes, they have. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Also, I, just like you said, thanks again to everybody who's been very nice about the show recently. Um, and I'm glad that even though I'm stuck in France, which, again, not, not a horrible place to get stuck. I, I like it a lot, but I, I'm glad we got to record today. It's very nice. Absolutely. Very grateful for this. With that, with that being said, uh, I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the Internet at Brendan Bigley. Have a wonderful start to your 2022. Goodbye. Goodbye. Garbage. Uh, online.